Well, I said last week, uh, we're going to be starting, uh, going into the book of, of Jonah, and we're going to, last week was kind of a big overview of the whole book, and then we're going to kind of dive into it. And you might be thinking here, well, we can save you some time, Pastor. You know, uh, we already know this one. We know about this book, you know, bad prophet, big fish, good prophet, people get saved. You know, that pretty much summarizes the book of Jonah. Well, this, this isn't a book about a fish. It isn't even about just the miracle that God had done. We're going to see this book is very much about the will of God. And that is the central theme of the book of Jonah. Um, I love how uh, John MacArthur kind of breaks the whole book down kind of in, in, in the area of the will of God. Uh, chapter 1 and 2, he says, is all about go, know, and woe. Chapter 3 and 4 is all about go, yes, and bless. Pretty simple, isn't it? And, and that's what we're going to be looking at, the, the, the will of God. You know, the will of God, it's, it's a fascinating subject that many people are interested in. If, if you go on and you Google books concerning the will of God, you are going to find numerous books. Matter of fact, if, if you want to write a book and get people to be interested in it, probably write it about a, the will of God because we all want answers to the tough questions and things that are going on in our life. I mean, what career should I pursue? What college should I go to? You know, who should I marry? Should I take that job? You know, should I move to another place? Should I buy that house? You know, should I, you know what church should I attend? And we even struggle to understand why certain things are happening. You know, why, God, is it your will for this illness or this loss to be allowed into a person's life or into in our own life. Well, in Jonah, we're going to find a man who struggled with the will of God. At times, he is going to resist God's will before ultimately submitting to God's will. At other times, you're going to find that he is questioning what God is doing and what God's will is. Um, you know, be honest, though, as we look at this book and we open it up, although we, you know, the, the, the story is so familiar to us, we need to be honest with ourselves as we look at it and see part of ourselves in this reluctant prophet. Because I think if we're, we're honest, many lessons are here for us. Because we all have a little bit of, of Jonah in, a, in us. So today we're going to see Jonah in chapter 1. We're going to see Jonah running from the will of God. And so I'm going to begin, if you haven't turned there already, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go to the to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, folks, there are two basic responses that you can have when God gives you his will, when you hear the will of God. You can have the response of Isaiah the prophet. Remember, we referred to him a little bit last week. Um, you know, Isaiah the prophet, he is whisked up into heaven, into the glory of the throne room. He's seen the angels praising God in all the wonder and majesty of heaven. And suddenly here's a voice. And the voice says, you know, who will go and who can I send? 
You know, and, and remember, you remember what he said? Remember what I, uh, you know, Isaiah the prophet said when he said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He said, here am I, Lord, send me. He didn't ask where. He didn't ask what. He didn't ask when. He just said, Lord, I'm here. I am ready to go. Here am I, send me. Send me. He put his yes on the table before he even knew what the question was that, that God was going to ask. So you've got Isaiah's response. And then you have Jonah's response. Jonah got a clear calling from God. I mean, no, no question whatsoever. God told him, I want you to arise. I want you to, I want you to go and I want you to preach to Nineveh. And he had a clear disobedience. It says, but Jonah arose and he fled. So God, I don't want to have any part of this. This is probably the only record that we have of a prophet saying no to God and, and, and disobeying God's will. And we talked a little bit last week about why that would be. I mean, why wouldn't he want to go? Why wouldn't he you know, want to see a possibility of a great revival take place? Why wouldn't he? Well, there was a lot of animosity between the Assyrians. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. We talked last week about within 50 years, the Assyrians are going to be used to destroy the 10 northern tribes. They're a very hostile, uh, very uh, evil, wicked regime. Matter of fact, in the prophet Nahum, it calls the, the city of Nineveh, calls it bloody and a wicked city. I mean, so, so you know, there's this animosity here. Um, we might think about, I was trying to think, uh, and we talked a little bit about in the 242 group last week about Kind of how would we compare that today? Well, how about if God sent us to North Korea? You know, someone like that, they, you know, their government, their officials, they, they hate us. You know, and it would be like to be sent to, I want you to go into North Korea. And I want you to, to preach against that city. Preach against their sin. Preach against their, their godlessness. And so we can have a little bit of understanding of, of Jonah and the problems that he's, he's having here. Um, you got to think Jonah, when God first comes to him and God is speaking to him, you know, you got to think he's probably pretty excited as God is speaking. You know, when God says, their wickedness has come before, up before me, he must say, yeah, finally, you know, you've got God's attention. You know, God's patience has been tried for so long and, and he's done with you guys. And this means, you know, the judgment from God is good news for Israel because if he takes care of Nineveh, the capital, the city, you know, the whole nation is going to crumble and this is going to be good for Israel. But then God goes on, he tells them, I want you to go there, I want you to preach to them. I want you to cry against the city. And this is kind of interesting. You know, why did Jonah, I mean, he's told, he is not told to go so this city will repent and get saved, and, you know, uh, everything will be great. He's not told to do that. He is told to go cry against the city. Matter of fact, later on, we're told very specifically what he said. He told him in 40 days, God is going to destroy you because of your wickedness. And so, you know, that's his message. He wasn't told to go so that they could repent. But Jonah knew something. He knew something about God. He knew that before anybody can ever repent, they have to accept their actions as sinful. And before they can ever accept their actions as sinful, they have to know what sin is. And they have to understand what their wrong is. And so Jonah is putting two and two together here. 
I mean, if he goes and he tells them about their sin and about the evil, I mean, he understands that it could lead to, to their repentance. And, and this, is, this is interesting. This is how bad of a prophet Jonah was. Jonah, we know, was born in Gath-Hathar, which is located in the northern part of Israel, which during Christ's time is known as Galilee, and they had Judah down by Jerusalem. So during the times of Christ, when you know, Christ came from Galilee down to Jerusalem to, to preach, remember one of the things that the Pharisees said about Jesus? They said, no prophet arises out of Galilee. Isn't that interesting? What about Jonah? <laughs> I mean, such a miserable prophet, they either discounted him or didn't want any connection with him whatsoever because he was disobedient to God. Jonah had a real heart problem here. Matter of fact, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I, felt I, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God. You're slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I knew all these things. I knew if we told them about their evil, we knew if we told them about your judgment, that God, that you are a forgiving God, and that if they repented and turned from you, you know, that you didn't want to destroy them. I knew this, God. This is amazing as you put this all together. This is a prophet of God. His knowledge of God is spot on. I mean, what a great description of the God whom we serve. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. He knew you know, the truth about God. But his imitation of God and his love and his forgiveness and his loving kindness, it was non-existent. I mean, if you think about it, his knowledge had increased about God over his life, but his imitation had ceased of becoming like God. And I think this is where we can see ourselves in the life of Jonah. You know, this very thing is plaguing conservative evangelical Christians and churches all over, all over our nation, all over the world. We know right. We are educated soundly. But we miss the basic reality that truth results in changed lives. It's not just what we know, but it's what we know that changes our lives. And when I learn that God is forgiving, I need to forgive others. When I learn that God is loving, I need to love others. When I learn that God is patient, I need to be patient with others. That God is holy, that I'm supposed to be holy like him. Matter of fact, along this line, John Maxwell once said this. He said, most Christians are educated beyond their level of obedience. Think that's true Are you? Are you educated, your truth, your understanding of God's word, are we educated biblically beyond our level of obedience to what God is saying? That's how we find Jonah, knowing all about God, but he's disobeying God. He's called to go some 500 miles east to go to Nineveh, but instead he heads 2,500 miles west you know, to Tarshish, or, or at least tries to get there. 
I mean, if, if you want to kind of put that in perspective here, it'd be like if God, you know, spoke to you and said, I want you to go to Washington, D.C., and I want you to preach, you know, against the evil going on there. And, and you, instead of going to Washington, D.C., you went all the way out to California instead, the opposite way. Lord knows both of them need God, you know, and they both need to hear, like, everybody in between. But that's pretty much what they did, go that way and God, you know, Jonah went, wanted to go five times farther the other way. And what we have here, then, the rest of this chapter, we kind of have a chess game. If you want to compare it to anything, we kind of have a, a chess game going on between Jonah and between God to see who is going to win. Now, I played a lot of chess when I was younger, and um, especially in high school and everything, and, and I, I was a pretty good chess player. Uh, but can, can you imagine playing chess against God? I mean, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what you're going to do. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything. So I'm, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here. Jonah's going to lose, okay? You know, let's just accept that Jonah is going to lose. It starts in verse 4, chapter 1. He says, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it, to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. <coughs> Every man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea had become increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea would become calm for you, the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea had become even stronger than before and stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and they said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. O Lord, you have done this as you have pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly and offered sacrifices, and the Lord made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish, Three days and three nights. <clears throat> so God's call to Jonah is very clear. Arise, 
go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah turns around and he runs. Again, remember this, Jonah did not have to do that. Jonah chose to run away from God. He arose and he fled, it says. He didn't actually think, I don't think, that he could get away from God. I love Psalm 139, which would have been written by this time. He says, if I flee to the uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. <laughs> Little did he know how literal that was going to be for him pretty soon here, that he would go to the uttermost parts of the sea. He knew God was you know, omnipresent. He was everywhere present. I believe Jonah more thought he was going to force God to go get somebody else. You want this done, God? Go find someone else to do it. So Jonah flees. In verse 4, again, this chess mass is going on here. God begins to pursue him in verse 4. It says, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Now, you might have a different version and a different translation of your Bible of how this verse reads. But not a single one of the translations said, Jonah ran, and so God decided to use somebody else. Not a single translation says that. You know, God sent a storm, and not a normal storm. Um, it's recognized to be a supernatural storm, probably not just because of the intensity of it, but because of how quickly it came. We talked in the 242 group last week, you know, a little bit about this. I mean, you know, these are, these are seasoned sailors. They know the weather. They watch the signs. They know the seasons. They know when it's safe to... to to sail, and so they're out there, you know, and suddenly all the signs change. Obviously, something is happening, and this supernatural storm comes upon them. Kind of a, as a side note to all of this, I kind of find it interesting how God uses nature to bring judgment of sin. God called the storm down to judge Jonah's sin. And because of Jonah's sin, not only was Jonah going to suffer, but these sailors were the victim of the disobedience to God. I mean, it says they had to throw their cargo overboard just so you know, they could lighten the ship so that they could survive. And, and again, I'm not trying to say what and when all of this is happening, but we look around us and, I mean, you know, sinkholes and wildfires and earthquakes and hurricanes and floods... Is God trying to get our attention? I mean, a world that's turned their back on him, the world that has minimized God, a world that only pulls God out when, you know, they have some sort of a crisis. I mean, who knows that all of these things that are happening, these things that do happen, that God is using, just like he's trying to get Jonah the sinner's attention, that God is trying to get our attention as well. So Jonah then, it's his move. What does he do? He sees God's move, sends a storm. Jonah's move, he, he simply ignores it. He didn't have to ignore the storm, but he did. Matter of fact, it says, Jonah went down below into the lowest parts of the ship. He laid down and he fell fast asleep. I mean, here he is. He is running from God. People up above, they are fighting for their lives, and yet he's sleeping like a baby. Folks, it's no stretch to believe that that maybe isn't a description of many of our lives. It isn't a description of, of many churches today. I mean, we know there is sin. We know, you know what we have to do with our lives, but, but it's so easy to just avoid it. 
and to go down and, and fall asleep. You know, people will avoid church. They'll avoid reading their Bibles. Avoid being around other people that make them uncomfortable. You know, religious people, people who, you know, Christians. And that's what Jonah was doing. He was simply ignoring it. Well, again, now it's God's move. God turns up the volume just a little bit. It says in verse 11, uh, the sea was growing more tempestuous or it was growing in its intensity. So uh, the, the sailors, they finally decide, let's cast lots. It's, you know, obviously this is supernatural. Let's cast lots, see who it falls upon. That was kind of like they, they, they were dice that they would throw. And I'm not sure exactly how that, it all worked out, but somehow God used those dice to reveal who it was and who was the problem. And the problem, he directed it to fall on Jonah. And so now it's, it's Jonah's move. You know, they come to Jonah in verse 11 and 12. What shall we do with you that the sea may be calm for us? And so what's Jonah's move? He says, well, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest, this great storm, is because of me. Well, one of the questions that you find is a lot of the commentaries here is whether or not Jonah is really being noble here. You know, at first glance, you might say, wow, he's being so noble. He's willing to die just so he can save these sailors so the storm would stop. And, and there are a number of commentaries that suggest that idea. Um, you know, again, we've got to think about what they were asking. How can we calm the sea? That's what they're asking Jonah. You're a prophet of God. How can we calm the sea? Folks, what was the correct answer to that? Stop running, Jonah. Repent, obey God's calling. You know, I mean, he, here he is. He understands that if he goes and he preaches to Nineveh about God's judgment and God's displeasure with their sin, he understands that they could repent and God is gracious and loving and abundance and kindness, and God's probably going to just forgive them when they ask that. And yet, he ignores that for his own life. That was the answer. You've got a gracious God. You've got a God who is mercy, that you come to him with your disobedience, with your wrong, with whatever I have done. And when I'm genuine about that, then God forgives. And that is the same hope that every single person here, anybody who will, would happen to come by and see this video you know, up on Facebook, it's, it's the same for them that no matter what we have done in our lives, at any point, I can come to God. And when I cry out to him from my heart, when I repent, that God will forgive. It wasn't just for Nineveh. It isn't just for Jonah. It, it is for you and I. You know, the, the desperate act that was needed for Jonah was brokenness, not suicide. That wasn't the answer. It was a brokenness. So the question remains, what was, what was Jonah really saying here when he told the soldiers, pick me up and throw me into the sea? You know, if you, you boil it all down, basically it's saying, I would rather die than do what God wants me to do. I would rather die than do what you have told me to do, God. You can command whatever you want. You can send the biggest storm that you want. But you can't make me do it. And you got to think that Jonah thought that 
his chess move was a good one that he'd gotten God. Poor sap. <laughs> uh, he has no idea what's coming. God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. Folks, that's checkmate. You know, it says in verse 17, Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now I was thinking about this this past week. Um, you know, we all focus on that third day and that third night, and Jonah finally crying out to God, and he learned his lesson, and God, you know, spewing him up on the bank. But I got thinking about, what, what was Jonah thinking about on day one? What was Jonah doing on day two? Folks, I'd have been in there about two seconds in the belly of a fish, and I'd have been crying out to God. But this is how far Jonah was gone of his knowledge of God outpacing his obedience to God. I mean, you know, he, he, he spent two days that he didn't need to in the belly of a fish. And the creator of the universe, he is not surprised by anything. I mean, when he thought that he was going to get the upper hand and just he's going to die versus be obedient to God, he had already prepared a unique fish to be ready for his stubborn prophet. And it's kind of neat. This, this fish is the means to break Jonah. Not just preserve him while he's in the ocean, but it's the means that God was going to use to break him and get him to look and get him to be obedient. So chapter 1 is about God's will for you, God's will for me. And so it has a lot of applications for us. And let, let's just spend just a few minutes, the remainder of our time, talking about this. I want to give you three or four applications we have here. Number one, like Jonah, you and I have a choice to make. That when we know God's will in our life, when we read of God's will in our life, or when God presses upon us something he wants us to, we have a choice. You can either run or you can embrace that. God gives us that free will to choose it. Number two truth is if you do not obey the revealed word of God, don't expect an extra word from God. Now, I've talked about this before that, you know, we all want to know God's will in this area and maybe some area that's not specifically given in the Bible, like should I, you know, take this job or, you know, should I marry this person, you know, they don't have a thus saith the Lord in here. But there are a whole bunch of principles and a whole bunch of truths here. And God reveals himself to us in here. And if we aren't being obedient to what he has clearly told us, then don't expect that God's somehow going to give you an extra message, an extra revelation of his will if we're not already obeying the will that he has given us. Obedience is so important. It's something that as parents, we, we teach this to our kids. It's, it's a slow, it's a hard process to learn. But we need to be obedient to the word of God. And, and as we are obedient, as we learn that obedience, then, then as God reveals other things to us, we can be obedient. Now, last Sunday, I had a, a good example of this uh, in my house. Um, I'm a you know, grandparent and had the grandkids over last Sunday, some of them. And I always keep a big basket of Smarties these candies, you know, you open them up and you know, individually and to give to the kids. And I brought them out and, and, and they asked, can we have more than one? And I said, sure, sure, you can have more than one. And I didn't see how many they took, but one of my grandchildren, I'm not going to name them, 
Um, but one of them took quite a big handful. And, and after a few months, I looked over there, and they are opening them up and putting them on a seat. And they're just going to be a big pile of candy. And I look over, and they've you know, still got about five or six more that they're opening up. And so I said to the grandchild, and I said, hey, hey, you need to put those other Smarties back. And literally, they were looking down, and I could just see the gears going in their head. And I won't say he or she, but slowly looked up at me and just locked angelic eyes with me and said, no. I got to tell you the difference between being a parent and a grandparent. <laughs> if, if that would have happened to my kids, they'd, they'd have gotten the N out before I was off the couch and I would have been down upon them. But, um, you know, I tried to reason with them, you know, about, hey, dinner, all of this, you know, you need, you need to obey and you need to put it back. And I could just see they just sat there pausing. They just looked at me and said, one more word, no. And, uh, so then I, then I did get a little bit more uh, upset about it, and I said, well, I said, if, if that's your answer, then I am going to come up, I'm going to take those two away from you, and I'm going to take every single one away from you, and you will get nothing. Well, then they got up, and they obeyed and everything. And It's a long, laborious process, you know, and, and, and to just learn to, 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 to obey what God says, just the simple things. I mean, the things that he's revealed in his word to us, you know, there, we would call that the general will. You know, things that for all Christians are the same. Things like 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. That all people would get saved. All people may not, but God wants it. He wants all to be saved. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God. What's, what's the will of God? Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So I don't ever have to come to the point and, you know, of when the temptation is there and say, well, I wonder what God would want. I know what God wants. He says, this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, in everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God. Christ Jesus in you. That's his will. So whatever you are going through, whether it is hard times or there's times of blessing, that I'm supposed to see God in it, and I'm supposed to see God's hand and trust his working and, and be able to give him a thankfulness. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So he wants us to do good. That's his will if you're a Christian. You know, and people are going to be accusing Christians and attacking Christians but that doesn't justify us not doing good and being good, you know, of lowering ourselves to, to, to the world's level. You know, I need to be silencing them by my, my good works, my actions. There's so many other things in God's general will that we could talk about here. You know, his will that we witness, we share Christ, you know, that we worship, that holiness, forgiveness, all of these things. And that's where we start with the will of God. You know, the general will that we, we know God wants these things. Then there's special, you know, specific wills that you have. And, and those are probably the ones that we tend to focus on. These are, you know, at special times in my life, I have decisions to make. God, I, I need your direction. Well, again, God never contradicts himself. 
So God will never give you a specific will that goes against his general will. He's never going to tell you to do something that goes against what he's revealed in his word. So nobody can stay, and I have heard this, you know, don't move in with a girlfriend and say, well, it's what God wants. God's made it very clear what he wants, to abstain from sexual immorality. He makes it very clear. You know that you're not hearing God's voice. You know, or people say, oh, I just felt. You know, that isn't an excuse to do something that's not in God's will, that goes against what he has written in his word. It's very important that we start there. We all want that special revelation to be told why something's happened or what decision I should make. But we try to bypass the will that he has given us in so many areas. And I, and I have found that the closer I am to the word of God, to obedience and to the word of God, those other things seem to fall into place a little easier. I'm not saying that, you know, we're still not going to have those specific times, a specific will he's going to reveal. But a lot of that's going to be taken care of in our lives if we just follow the will that God has already told us. When you are obeying God's will, it's not uncommon, you know, that through this obedience of his will, that he'll begin to reveal other things to you. So then comes the question for us, is how do you discern God's will then for you? Okay, we got the specific here that we know this is God's will, but and these other things, how do we discern his will? Well, let me give you a verse, and we used it in our ABF uh, this morning. Um, Romans 12, 12, chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And he says then, he goes on and says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, you're, you're pouring God's word into your mind. You're not being conformed. You know, you're presenting yourself as a holy living sacrifice to God. He says, you do this so that you might prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. I mean, that's where we get, if you're just being obedient to what God says you need to be doing, you know, not being conformed to the world, renewing your mind, saturating it with the word of God, living it obedient to the word of God, even when you don't understand it. We are proving what the will of God is in our life, what he wants. So that's one of the ways to do it. Another way for you to do it is I would encourage you to get around godly people who can help confirm what God's will is in your life, that you can talk to them about it, and they can maybe point you to some scripture and, and help you in that decision. And the third thing, and I think this is the most important thing, um, well, aside from the Romans 12, 1 and 2, but the most important thing that I can do is to put our yes on the table. If you want to know what God's will in your life is for something, start by saying, yes, Lord. Start by saying, surrender. So whatever it is, God, whatever that answer is, whatever it is, that direction, I surrender to you, God. You know, if if you don't start there, God's going to reveal something to you. You're going to feel God wants you to do something and Satan's going to come in, you're going to have all sorts of excuses, all sorts of mental gymnastics you're going to do, a why or why you shouldn't do what you, you feel God wants you to do. You've got to start by putting your yes on the table. God, you know, you tell me what to do, and it doesn't matter. I will do it. Let me leave you two things in conclusion here, real quick here, and just kind of in review. 
Number one, I just want you to think through, you know, not just today, you know, maybe throughout this day, throughout this week. Are you educated beyond your level of obedience? Are you biblically educated beyond your level of obedience? Do I obey what God has already said? I mean, unlike Jonah, do I imitate the heart of God when he was told to go and to preach? To say, I'm, I want to be like Christ. I want to do that. Second thing, how do you respond to the will of God? I mean, like Isaiah, is that yes on the table before you hear what God asks? Or do you find yourself, even when you're reading the Bible, do you find yourself weighing that? You know, whether or not, does that fit into my culture or does that fit into my politics? Or does that fit into, you know, the way I see life? You see, we've got to get away from that. We've got to get away from that. I, matter of fact, this, uh, this morning I came in and I, I glanced through um, online, the USA Today, and there was something concerning um, communion and the Catholic Church and who's allowed to take communion. They've made a fairly strong stance on that communion. But the article was kind of rebuffing those who were saying that they were wrong. They were trying to say that, and, and I read part of it, they were criticizing the church, saying that they need to compromise to be able to reach the culture that they're in. You know, that somehow God needs to change. God needs to, you know, then they said, you know, you know, saying certain people can't take communion is not a very good business model is one of the arguments we don't care what the business model is. We care about obedience. We care about being more like Jesus Christ, regardless of the, what the world says. And we need to have that yes on the table. I shouldn't weigh God's word as I read it on whether or not I'm going to be obedient or not to it, or when he, he directs me to do something. How do you respond to the commands that God's given you? How will you respond to specific callings and desires that God has for your life. Let's pray. Father God, I so thank you for this truth. And Lord, I know, you know, it, it's not earth-shaking, it's not new, but God, it is so vital for us. It's vital for me, Father, to be reminded that you are God. You are holy and righteous and just. And Father, I am your child. And right now, Lord, we, you know, if we haven't done it in a long time, Lord, I, I just want to put my yes on the table. And, you know, I know there's going to be some here that they know what that's going to mean, maybe something they've been resisting before you. Father, give us the strength, the commitment, Lord, in our walk to trust you. To just like Isaiah, to not be worried, to know that you are a loving, gracious, and a holy God. I don't have to worry about saying yes to you. Help us to know what that is going to be in our lives. And I, and, I, and I pray that we will be challenged, Lord, to let our imitation of you match our education from your word. You know, that won't be just about getting bigger heads, but it'll be about getting bigger hearts bigger hands and feet to be Christ to the world around us. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of what it means to be a child of yours.
In thy name we pray.